Helen Keller was born in 1880 as a typical healthy baby girl. However, before she even turned two years old, Helen became severely ill with a fever. In fact, she was not even expected to live. However, Helen made it through. But when the fever left her, it took her hearing and sight along with it. Helen became deaf and blind before she could even speak. Without the sense of hearing and without the sense of sight, Helen grew up isolated in her own world, and she acted primarily based on instincts. She was known to have violent tantrums when she wanted something that she couldn't have, or to laugh hysterically and uncontrollably when she was happy. But Helen took the world by storm as she learned to thrive despite her disabilities. Some of Helen Keller's accomplishments include writing 12 books during her lifetime, becoming the first blind and deaf person to graduate from a university. She learned to read Braille, of course, but also French, German, Latin, and Greek. The scope and the reach of Helen Keller's influence cannot be measured, because her life and writings continue to impact generation after generation after generation, even to this day. And all it took was for someone to believe in her. Hey, I'm Michelle Hayes, special education teacher and parent of a child with multiple special needs. I'm here to share stories, strategies, inspiration, and hope to parents and caregivers of individuals with disabilities. Because when life requires us not to be normal, it becomes our opportunity to turn into something extraordinary. Welcome to the journey. Until Helen was about six years old, she was left to her own whims and desires. Not much was expected of her. Of course, she was deaf and blind. Poor Helen. Until one fateful day, a young woman by the name of Anne Sullivan showed up at her house. She was hired to be Helen Keller's teacher. Now, Miss Sullivan observed Helen and saw Helen for who she truly was. Regardless of appearances, and even major pushbacks from Helen herself, her teacher believed in her, and that belief manifested into an expectation, which turned into a beautiful destiny. Miss Sullivan inspires me to be much more for my child. Her work makes me understand that faith demands perseverance, hard work, creativity. And resilience, amongst many other things. That's who I want to be for my child. I want to be my child's very own Miss Sullivan. As parents of special needs children, we have an incredible opportunity to play a part in the miracle of unfolding in their human mind. We get to reap the rewards of each milestone, and even each bitter tear that we cry can become the fuel for our fight of faith. Today, I want to encourage you to believe, and I have a few thoughts that I want to share with you about putting your money where your mouth is, so to speak. 
I want to share with you what my own experiences as a special needs parent, as well as a decade-long practice with teaching special education students, has taught me. I hope that what I have to share resonates within your heart, and it brings you to a call of action. Let me tell you a few things about believing and how you can apply these practically. Now, a very basic and important approach that you have to have when believing for your child is the, what we call, yet mentality in the special education world. Now, the yet mentality is having the mindset that your child is not able to do something yet, so that you don't approach it as a hopeless lost cause. Just say, my child doesn't speak yet. My child is not walking yet. My child hasn't made a friend yet. My child doesn't read yet. Because you are not done walking that journey. Having that yet mentality is very important. And try to catch yourself when you are speaking about your child's ability and start to incorporate that yet vocabulary and that yet mentality, that way of thinking that you are not there yet, but you are walking in that direction. I want you to always assume that your child is competent. No matter what you see in front of you, just treat your child as if your child is able to do so. Now, I'm not talking about trying to get your child on a bike before your child can learn to walk, but I am talking about believing that your child will get there and you will do the necessary steps and that follow that chain that is going to build one chain link after the next chain link after the next chain link. It may be harder for you. It may be harder for your child, but continue to build that chain because you are going to believe that your child can. You are going to assume that there is competence. Now, professionals, they do diagnose. That's their job. They see your child, they follow a criteria, and they diagnose, they evaluate, they observe. And it is very useful and very important feedback. But that's their job. They get paid for that. That is their career. That's what I do for a living as a special ed teacher. However, your job doesn't end. You don't wake up, clock in, do your hours, and then just finish after a while. No, your job is never ending, and your job is to believe. I want to encourage you to expect more. When your child is able to do something, applaud, cheer, be super happy, relish the moment, but don't stop there. If your child got this far, then you can push him or her another step. And when they reach that step, guess what? You can expect more. Keep raising that bar just a little bit, just enough so that it's a challenge and yet achievable. And never stop moving forward. While you're doing all of this, it is a fight. And a lot of times it very likens to what a trainer does when they are training for a sports event or an Olympic competition. It is ongoing. It is pushing yourself. You are constantly overcoming and stretching and making yourself grow. Now, some days 
you're going to have amazing outcomes and some days are going to suck. Just decide to be resilient. Decide that this is not going to take you down. Decide that you had a hard day. You had a bad day. So what? Do not let discouragement of one event, one day, one season tear you down and make you stop moving towards what you see, towards the vision that you have of your child. Believing and hoping may sound like a bogus, unfounded feeling, but pairing your faith and your belief with your actions can really, truly bring amazing and powerful results. So I want to give you a few ways that you can materialize all your hopes and expectations with strategies that are actually actionable, things that you can actually do. Because let's face it, following your feelings can be fickle. Feelings come and go. Man, they change if you haven't had enough sleep or if you haven't eaten. You can have wonderful feelings that everything lines up just perfectly. But you know what? Feelings should not be your compass. They change. They are not stable. I want to talk to you about specific categories where you can put action to your faith and start working with your child immediately. I want to cover several topics. I want to talk to you about treating your child age appropriately. I want to discuss language. I want to talk about watching your mouth and the things you say. I want to talk about relationships and how you can foster a meaningful relationship with your child. I'd also like to discuss socialization. And I want to get real personal when it comes to listening to difficult diagnoses and reports. So let's get started. Treat your child age appropriately. No matter what age your child is, make sure you find appropriate activities for your child's age. My daughter is 14 years old and she is still learning how to write. But that does not mean that I am going to give her a coloring book with a big apple and little cartoon characters to color because that's just not age appropriate. I am going to work with the skill that she needs to work on, which is handwriting, but I'm going to try to find more meaningful ways to give her what she needs at an age-appropriate level. So what does this look like for us? I bought dry erase markers and I discovered that you can write on windows throughout the house. So as my daughter and I are having conversations and she struggles with a word, I give her that dry erase marker and we practice that word together. I show her the letters that are in the word and then I show her how each letter sound makes up that word and she tries to rewrite that word on the window with a dry erase marker. Now that is much more age appropriate than giving her a Sesame Street book filled with letters because my daughter is 14 years old. Now, on the opposite end, if you have a small child and you are giving your child things that are too serious and too difficult to play with, your child may not respond. You need to respond to your child's needs based on that child's age. This gives them dignity and a sense of self-worth. We are working on imparting identity and this is part of it. Let's talk about language. I really recommend that you talk to your child all the time. 
narrate what's going on around you, discuss your inner thoughts, discuss your process, ask them questions, talk to them all the time, even if they don't talk back to you. Just assume they're listening to every word that you are saying and that eventually that will become reciprocal and they will talk back to you. Just expect that one day you're going to have that and start talking to them that way today. Find the level of their understanding and kick it up just a notch higher. Not so high that they get lost, but don't keep it at the level where they understand, where they are not challenged. Wherever they are in their learning and their understanding, go up just a little bit. And once they reach that level, which they will and quicker than you expect, you keep raising that bar like I talked about before. Whenever you introduce new words, try to introduce them with multiple representations. So as you're giving new vocabulary, use lots of hand gestures, pointing, uh, show the object, give synonyms like, wow, that is a really large, big picture of a parrot that you drew. Just give synonyms, give examples, give expression. There's a lot of ways to impart meaning to words. You can use vocal pitch. You can use illustrations. Find all the possible ways that you can reflect meaning on new words. When you ask your child to perform a command, say you give your child a command, or say you are asking your child a question, Allow time for them to process that information. They're taking in all this language and they are processing it and it might take them a little bit of time. Don't repeat yourself over and over again because that just gives them extra information to process. Give them a couple of seconds. Give them five seconds. You know, if you count to five, one, two, three, four, five that's actually a long time. You're going to feel a little weird about it, but they need that time to process what you're saying. Give them wait time. When your child speaks to you and they say something incorrectly, don't be quick to correct them and change the way that they said it. Acknowledge what they said, accept what they said, and you just repeat and model the correct pronunciation or sentence formation or whatever it is that you're trying to do. For example, say your child comes running in from outside and says, big dog, I saw dog, big. You can say, wow, you saw a big dog outside. So you're correcting the way they are phrasing their sentence, but you're still acknowledging that you understood and you are not acting like they've said anything wrong. So by modeling the correct speech and by repeating to them the correct way of saying it while expressing understanding is a wonderful way to encourage language development. Now, we're going to talk more about language interventions in season two of the journey. We're going to discuss more common neurological and cognitive issues, and I promise you we'll get there in the next season. But this season is all about the conclusions that can lead you in the right path. So let me get back to that. I want to talk about watching your mouth. You are constantly imparting identity to your child. You may not know it, but you are establishing who you see, what you believe, who you guys are as a family, what your values are. You are constantly imparting identity. Be careful with what you are saying to them. Also, when you are talking to someone else about your child, 
and they are in the room, preserve their dignity. Like I said before, always assume competence, always assume understanding, always assume that your child is there understanding every single word that you are saying. How would you feel if someone spoke about you in the way that you are speaking about your child? Speak about them in a way that allows them to preserve their dignity. Now, sometimes you're going to have to talk about their conditions, their challenges, and their issues. And this is where I really encourage you to involve them. For example, with Katie, I can say, oh, well, Katie is learning not to grab people when she wants something. So we're practicing asking, Katie, why don't you ask this person if you can borrow their toy? Now, that is uh, something that is important because it puts Katie in a situation where she knows that I'm talking about something that she struggles with. It involves her and it gives her opportunity to redeem herself and to show that she's trying and working on it. Always model correct speaking. Now, I'm talking about speaking in a way that reflects values that you are proud of. Make sure that the way you speak reflects the way you want to teach your child to speak. Foster a close relationship with your child. Anne Sullivan and Helen Keller had a very close relationship, which allowed for all that learning to take place. That loving and trusting relationship that resulted from Helen Keller and her teacher, Anne Sullivan, became the foundation on which Helen Keller's learning was built. Had it not been for that meaningful, trusting relationship, the outcome would have been much different. I personally have seen the best results come from meaningful relationships, regular interactions, and wonderful life experiences. Like I've seen my daughter sit in a speech room and work with flashcards and really work with the correct tongue placement or uh, bilabial movements when it comes to producing a sound. And yet I have seen the best speaking abilities emerge from play. Like when we are at the trampoline jumping, when we are on the swing, or even when we're going out for a walk and just chatting away. I recommend you try to gain a deeper understanding of what your child likes or loves by just sitting and watching them with total acceptance. Don't intervene. Don't change what they're doing. Just hang out with them. Just hang out with them and watch. What are they doing? Why do they like that? What does it mean when they move this way or make that sound? Gain a deeper understanding of what your child is driven by so that you can eventually figure out a way to use that as a teaching tool when your child talks to you, whether it be verbally or non-verbally. Your child is talking to you all the time. Your child may be talking to you through a behavior or your child may be talking to you through grabbing your hand or gesturing or vocalizing or your child may actually be saying words, maybe putting them together correctly or maybe not. But your child is communicating with you. So listen. And when you listen, stop and listen with interest. Participate with your child. Whatever your child is doing and engaging in, occasionally stop what you're doing and just join in. Hang out with your child. There is so much that can come out of those unplanned, unscripted moments. 
some of the biggest learning experiences that I have had with my child have come from just times when I've decided to put away all my agenda and just chill and see what she's up to. Involve your child in your activities. So you're watching TV and your child is just pestering you? Make your child sit down with you. Narrate what you can from the television show, even if it's basic stuff. Or say you're doing housework together. Do what you can to involve your child in the housework. Say you're folding laundry. Well, drop a couple of towels on your child and ask them to fold it. And if not, at least just touch and hold so that they can be engaged in the same activity with you and they can feel that connection. Do you have a hobby? Bring your child in and involve your child in that hobby. Teach them how to use that tool, that brush, or that... (laughs) power tool that you've got going on, whatever your chore may be. Does your child want you to try something in a specific way? And you know it's not going to work or you know it's going to be ridiculous? Try it anyway. Just try it. You know, if something fails, it is a great platform to use that as a teachable moment. Hey, that didn't work because X, Y, Z. Or hey, this is really silly because of that. Or wasn't that funny? Whatever happens, just try your child's suggestions. It can really open up a pathway of trust and engagement and a really close relationship. Get involved with what your child is interested in. Even if it's spinning an object, sit there and watch. Try to interact with your child. Try to do what they're doing. Show interest in what they're doing. React. Be surprised. Be amazed and be genuine. Sometimes imitation skills can be hard for a lot of our children, and they may be lacking in that skill. So spark your child's attention by imitating them. Maybe they're not going to copy what you do, but hey, you can copy what they do. And guess what? Not only are you going to surprise them, you are going to spark their interest, and you are going to teach them how to have an activity with joint attention. That means Not just them alone in their world, suddenly someone is joining in their world and participating in an activity that they are initiating. A lot of kids get a big kick out of watching a parent or a friend imitate what they are doing. Now let's talk about socialization for a bit. Socialization is tricky for some special needs children. You can teach your child social rules and expectations in the real world setting. Now, a lot of parents, including myself, avoid a lot of typical daily life things like going to the grocery, going to a friend's house, participating in a public event, things like that, because it's just honestly really hard to do that with your child who keeps interfering and becoming socially inappropriate. But Don't let that stop you because this is the teaching environment that your child needs the most. He or she will never learn what the social rules and expectations are if if he doesn't get to practice in the real world settings. So provide your child with opportunities to interact with other people, to stand in line at the grocery store, to hand over the money to the clerk, to say thank you, to ask for an order at the restaurant, or to speak in the way that they can. 
There are many ways that you can get your child to participate in the social world, even if they don't have language. You can teach the listener about your child's mode of communication, and you can say, look, my child is going to point, or my child is going to grab your hand and do this, or my child is going to gaze, or my child is going to vocalize. Whatever it is your child is doing to communicate, use that. And let your child have a moment where they actually initiate an interaction with another person. And don't be a helicopter over your children's attempts. If your child is attempting something, praise your child, encourage your child. You know, you would be surprised, as I have been, to find that people are actually more accepting and forgiving than you actually expected. I want to close with a final thought. Beware of letting doctors, therapists, and teachers dictate the way that you see your situation. Nobody knows your child better than you. No one has the vision that you have for your child. You must propel your child forward. I know that learning all about your child's disabilities, deficiencies, and difficulties can be such a devastating experience. You might even be grieving and looking for someone more knowledgeable than you to validate all those hopes and dreams that you have in your heart. And in the middle of your darkest moments, you might turn to professionals, expecting and hoping to hear a word of encouragement. And maybe like me, you might find yourself hearing the total opposite of hope coming out of the mouths of those people that you respected and looked up to. For me, the fight of faith has been an individual fight. Now, the professional staff is there to assess and diagnose your child. They deal with a specific setting, a specific situation, specific kind of environment, and they have to fill out forms with the expectations that are given to them. They are performing their job. They are working hard to understand your child's needs and to give you strategies. They are working hard. The faith that you must have for the vision that is in your heart for your child, now that's your job. You have to expect that no matter what you hear, no matter what you see, expect that the best is still to come. It's on its way. Now, please don't misunderstand me. These professionals are in their field because they care. They want to help. They are passionate about working with your child. This is something that they love to do and they want to do their very best. So don't discard what they are telling you. Don't ignore the advice that they are giving you and don't put aside the strategies that they are handing you to work with. I want you to work with professionals to find a treatment or maybe even a cure. I am not trying to tell you to mistrust and distance yourself from these people. They are there to help. We are there to help. But what I'm trying to let you know is that no one else is that child's parent but you. That is a unique and irreplaceable role. Don't misunderstand your place in your child's life and your role in working with your child. Do expect the best for your child and work with the professionals and keep moving forward. Keep looking for those treatments. Keep looking for those cures. But understand, 
The bulk of the work is going to land on your shoulders. It is up to you to decide how much, how far, and how hard you're going to run for the sake of your child. There are countless stories of diagnoses turned over by people who stood in faith and worked with their physicians. Partner up with your doctors. Partner up with your related service professionals. Partner up with the teachers. But remember, the expectation from you is that you should have hope, that you should have faith, that you should never give up for your child's sake. As a teacher, I can attest that I myself have seen cases of students that I have evaluated and I have reported on saying that outcomes would be a certain way. And the parent faced off with me and said, no, that is not my child. And guess what? That parent proved me wrong. I'll tell you something. It was both humbling as a professional and yet inspiring as a parent. That parent believed that their child could, and then that child did. Thanks for listening. Today, we talked about believing, having hope, and expecting more out of our special needs children. Feelings without actions are fickle, so it is important that we demonstrate our faith through our actions. Join me next time, where we will discuss how the I can mentality can change your child's future. Until then, love your child, believe in your child, and work with your child. This is The Journey.